This podcast deals with adult subject matter, including depictions of drug addiction, prostitution, sexual assault, and rape. Parental guidance is suggested. Officer Daniel Holtzclaw with the police department for three years is accused of raping and sexually assaulting women he pulled over while on the job. He said, come on, come on, just a minute, just a minute. I said, sir, I can't do this. I said, you're going to shoot. Your description of him. He's black. He's okay. He's black male. What did your daughter tell you? She said, I met this really hot cop. So this is good evidence? Well, you tell me. The following episode contains investigative events which occurred on July 10th, 2014. Welcome back to Season 1 of Bates Investigates, the State of Oklahoma versus Daniel Holtzclaw. When we left off last episode, 43-year-old Oklahoma City resident Terry Morris, while admittedly high on crack, told her ex-boyfriend, two patrol officers, a lieutenant, and Detective Rocky Gregory all the same story that on either May 20th or 21st, while in downtown Oklahoma City and walking to the city rescue mission, she was stopped by a police officer who was driving an older style patrol car. The officer then forced her to perform oral sex upon him and then dropped her off in a back alley. Morris claimed that she waited a couple of days and that Christopher Shelton was the first person she confided in. She told this story multiple times and investigating officers made sure to make note that her story was consistent with each telling. At this point, I feel compelled to replay a quote from Oklahoma City Police sex crimes detective Kim Davis. It's a quote I first played for you back in episode four, and I told you then it would be a reoccurring theme just so I could point out the bias and ridiculousness of it. We'll take our time and we'll verify everything the girls say or we'll verify everything he said. And, the, and, and that's the way the chips are gonna fall. And everything the girl said verified and nothing he said did. The reality is nothing about Morris's story is checking out at all. When Daniel Holtzclaw was questioned about encountering Morris downtown and offering her a ride to the city rescue mission, he emphatically denied it. And the evidence, all of it, supports Holtzclaw's denials. When Detective Gregory went to verify Morris's allegations, I remind you, allegations made by a woman who admitted she was high on crack and diagnosed as a paranoid schizophrenic and not taking her prescribed meds, he immediately ran into problems trying to pin the accusations on Holtzclaw. Holtzclaw's patrol car GPS clearly showed he never stopped anywhere near the downtown city rescue mission at any time, let alone the dates insisted upon by Morris. Additionally, Holtzclaw drives the much more rare, newer model all-black patrol car. And lastly, while Morris's description of her attacker does contain similarities to Holtzclaw, six foot tall, muscular and clean shaven, that description could also apply to many other officers. More importantly, Morris's description also contains many discrepancies. She said her attacker appeared to be much older than Holtzclaw, as old as being in his 40s and possibly 50s and having, quote, dark skin. 
Detective Gregory tried to overcome the description problems by presenting Morris with a photo lineup that he admitted in trial, targeted Holtzclaw for identification, and intentionally left out an officer who not only had recent contact with Morris, but is also known to have sex with prostitutes while on duty. That plan backfired when Morris was unable to positively ID Holtzclaw as her attacker. As you now know, detectives never utilized a photo lineup again in this case for fear the accusers could not positively identify Holtzclaw. Then there's the fact that Morris is unsure she's ever met the officer who attacked her in the past. Yet Detective Gregory knows that according to police records, Holtzclaw has encountered Morris at least three times and the most recent was on May 8th at the Liberty Station Apartments, not the 20th or the 21st, and it was on the other side of the city. Holtzclaw has even arrested Morris for property destruction back in September of 2013. With all of these details that don't check out, despite what Detective Kim Davis would claim otherwise, Detective Gregory has targeted Officer Daniel Holtzclaw as his suspect, and he is relentless in that pursuit. I pointed out last episode that Detective Gregory made what I think is a convenient and ridiculous claim. He claimed that the moment he saw Morris, when he went to interview her a second time, that she exclaimed, quote, he did it again, didn't he? To which Detective Gregory noted in his report that he allegedly replied, quote, he did. Those quotes weren't captured in his recordings of their interview, but that's not the most important detail that wasn't recorded. While I was going over every word in Detective Gregory's report, I noticed a notation in reference to his second interview of Morris. The interview I played for you last episode. The interview that is transcribed by Oklahoma City Police in their own reports. Detective Gregory noted, quote, I asked Terry if the suspect had stopped her before up at Liberty Station Apartments. She acted like she didn't but she was aggravated with questions and wanted to go." End quote. That quote, or any other mention of Liberty Station Apartments, appears nowhere in Detective Gregory's recorded interview with Morris. That's extremely important. That means that Detective Gregory is intentionally either omitting portions of recorded interviews or is so negligent and incompetent that he picks and chooses what he is going to record and when. Then there's the use of his wording in his reports. Morris, quote, acted like her attacker didn't confront her at Liberty Station Apartments. How would Detective Gregory know if Morris is, quote unquote, acting, as opposed to what she really would have done, which is to simply have answered his question with a no? Detective Gregory often uses wordplay to his benefit and to the target of his investigation's detriment. You'll recall that Morris repeatedly says her attacker has, quote, dark skin. Yet, in this most recent report, Detective Gregory uses the term, quote, olive skin. Nowhere does Morris use that term in any interview, but Gregory knows that he has much to overcome if he wants to implicate Holtzclaw including descriptions by both Liggins and now Morris that don't match Daniel in critical areas. You'll recall that Liggins claimed her attacker was shorter than six foot, older than Daniel Holtzclaw, blonde, and had acne-scarred skin. 
but it actually doesn't surprise me that Detective Gregory's reports are so unfairly biased against Holtzclaw. I've posted this most recent police report on last episode's homepage at HoltzclawTrial.com. Look down at the bottom of that report. It clearly states the report wasn't even written until July 24, 2014. That's over a month after Gregory had actually interviewed Morris a second time, and in that time, Gregory has interviewed Morris a third time and set his sights on additional alleged victims and has actually already gotten confirmation from the Oklahoma County DA's office that they have agreed to prosecute Holtzclaw based on Liggins and Morris's complaints. But there are hints in Detective Gregory's report that he's had an entire conversation with Morris that he either didn't bother to record or intentionally excluded from the discovery evidence. A conversation whose sole intent, I'd argue, was to begin to reshape Morris's claims to more directly implicate Holtzclaw. According to the transcript of Morris's second interview, Detective Gregory asked Morris, quote, Okay, describe him one more time. Morris, uh, Detective Gregory, you know this is important. Later in the interview, Detective Gregory asked this, quote, and, now you're still saying a couple of blocks from the mission? Morris, yes. Gregory, I know I keep covering it, but you know there's a reason, end quote. I personally feel that Morris was simply too high from crack and too disoriented from not taking her meds to catch Detective Gregory's hints that she's needing to change her story to a description that more closely resembled Holtzclaw in a location that matched GPS records. Now, before you go thinking I've jumped down some conspiracy rabbit hole, you need to absorb what happens next. I mentioned just a minute ago a third interview between Detective Gregory and Morris. You're getting ready to hear that interview, and it's going to take this investigation into overdrive. According to Detective Gregory, in the days following the June 24th second interview of Morris, he and Detective Davis had been advised by OCPD lab analyst Elaine Taylor that female DNA, not belonging to Liggins, had been located on the fly of Holtzclaw's uniform pants. On July 1st, Detective Davis and another female detective went to Holtzclaw's girlfriend's place of employment and obtained a buckle swab DNA sample from the inside of her mouth. That sample was tested and did not match the DNA on Holtzclaw's uniform. On July 10th, Detective Gregory noted that Morris was now in custody of the Oklahoma County Jail after she was recently arrested on an unrelated charge. Detective Gregory, along with Lieutenant Musney, drove to the Oklahoma County Jail to interview Morris and obtain a DNA sample from her. Once again, Detective Gregory claims that information very positive to his investigation was stated by Morris, yet he somehow managed to not capture those statements in his investigative recordings. According to Gregory's report, quote, As soon as I seen Terry, she advised me she was happy to see me. Terry advised, There is something I've wanted to tell you! Exclamation point. Detective Gregory goes on to note that Terry was taken immediately to an interview room and that once they all arrived, quote, Terry immediately told me that she gave me the wrong location to where her assault happened, end quote. In reality, the recording of this third interview contains none of that. The recording clearly shows that Morris, Gregory, and Musney had gone over Morris's story at least once before Detective Gregory 
even bother to record Morris's statements. Statements that now almost magically place the sexual assault on the other side of town at a completely different date and directly implicate Holtzclaw. You'll recall that Detective Gregory admitted in his report of his second interview that he suggested the Liberty Station Apartments location to Morris. Yet, that conversation, how it came about, and under what context Detective Gregory suggested that new location for the assault doesn't appear in any transcript or audio recordings. This is an important detail that came up during the trial, and once again, Detective Gregory is caught in a lie. At trial, Daniel Holtzclaw's defense attorney, Scott Adams, asked Detective Gregory about this third interview with Morris. Mr. Adams inquires as to why the recorded interview appears to begin at the end of Morris talking about the sexual assault. In fact, Morris is heard finishing talking about the alleged rape when Detective Gregory is clearly heard telling Morris to go over the story yet again. Detective Gregory claims that the entire conversation was not recorded simply because he was caught off guard and wasn't intending on interviewing Morris at the jail and just thought he was there to swab her mouth for DNA. But as you'll hear in the recorded interview, that's a lie. Detective Gregory had not only brought a recorder with him, but he says this to Morris during the interview. Quote, Well, I just found out that you were over here and I knew you wanted to talk to us. End quote. Here is the complete redacted recording of Detective Davis's third interview with Morris in the Oklahoma County Jail. Probably the first thing that you will notice is that Morris now sounds completely different and much more lucid. This, this is Detective Gregory with uh, Lieutenant Musney. We're here with Terry Morris uh, here at the county jail. She had been, she had been uh, placed under arrest. Uh, she advised that she didn't want to talk to us a little bit more. Is that correct, Terry? You said you had some more information. That's all. Tell me, tell me again so I can take some notes. That just that I recant that the location I gave you was wrong. Why? Why did you give us a wrong location? Cause I didn't want my boyfriend to uh, be wondering why I was over there by Liberty. Why was you over there by Liberty? Cause I was getting high. Well, I had been done getting high, but I was leaving on my way home though. When I got out the gate. Soon as I stepped out of the gate, he was like, he called me by my nickname, like he already knew me or something. He says, the police. He said, T. He said, T. T. He called me T. T. That's what people on the streets call. Right, I know. And he said, uh, is there anything in your purse, sharp or something? He said, you know what y'all saying? Is it sharp? Something I could cut myself on? And I said, no. I said, I have a crack pipe. Yeah, you know, I'm trying to be honest, because I thought he was an honest cop. Right. And so he told me to get in a car, and then he pulled. Liberty is like on 26, if you go come down the one street, it's on 26. Right. And then he went up Lindsay to 24, because Liberty is on 26 in Lindsay. He went up. He went up. Uh, to 24th and then in some more apartments right right 
down the street from the workforce office and back of the workforce. Not not the new apartments. They got a big gate around them. I forget the name of them. They're, they're at Liberty. No, two blocks past Liberty. You know, it's a bunch of apartments. Like, this is Liberty, then it's another apartment, then it's some more apartments, and then it's some more apartments with a gate around, an iron black gate. Okay. What did he do? Okay, so he stops you there at Liberty. Yeah, and pulls me around there, and he don't pull it directly in front of the apartments, but he pulls like right before you get in front of them, but, but you, you're in front of the apartments, but you're not directly in front of them. Where uh, he pulled where nobody can see us. Nobody can see who he has in a the car. They can probably see his car, but they can't see who he have in a car, see what he's doing. What? And I was sitting there in the back. He got, he said, uh, he said he was running a check on me. So I said, well, I don't got no warrants or nothing. And I guess he must, I don't know if he ran the check or for real ran the check or not, but then he just kept twirling my pipe around, looking at it, with his playing with it, like twiddling it around, looking at it. Then he said, um, he got out the car, opened the door, I was sitting just like this in the back seat. And he opened the door and he said, unzip your pants. And now the way you had your position, you were just sitting there like in a normal, normal way. Yeah, in a normal sit position. Keep going. And he, 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 like this, the door, he was standing up, and I'm sitting there, and I didn't know, I thought he was going to, you know, let me get out, but he says, open your pants. I said, open my pants. He said, unzip your, your pants. I said, unzip my pants. And then he told me to raise up my shirt. He asked me, did I have panties on and everything. And then he said, uh, he said, uh, you, he, he, I said, he said, he asked me to give him some oral sex. He didn't say that though. I want to say he said a blowjob. And I was like, what? He was like, oh, come on, just for two minutes. And I was like, I really felt like I had no choice. And then I was like, man, I was like, I, I don't want to do this. And he said, oh, come on. Man, I was trying to figure out, I've been trying to figure out how he knew my name all along. Like somebody told him. Like, that's TT. Okay, I'm, I'm going to back you up just a little bit, okay? Before you told me about he was headed down to the mission, so that's not true. No, just and you didn't leave a rehab center. Yeah, I was at the rehab. I did relapse on the rehab. Where was you walking from? When I seen him out of Liberty. Out of Liberty. But he had just pulled out of Liberty too, messing with people. He had seen me standing on the porch. He had never even messed with me. It's like as soon as I left out of Liberty, he left out of Liberty. On what day? What? Oh, I don't remember. Okay. Now, Mr. Williams, I don't remember I was laying there. Well, it's, okay. It's, you've always said the 20th or 21st. It's got probably around, but yeah, probably then I probably remember. I don't remember now, you know what I mean? Okay, so you, you don't know, but it was, it, you, do you know if it was a few days before you told your boyfriend and the police about the raid? Yeah, it was some days before then. It was, you don't know how many days? I wanted to say it was about probably a, uh, Four, about eight days. 
But you've been getting high during that time. Well, I relapsed even worse when he did that. Okay, okay. Now tell me what time of day was this? It was uh, evening. It was it was uh, dark outside. It wasn't late though. It was like early evening, but it was you know just getting dark. Okay. Now I want to say it's about eight or nine. Okay. Okay. Now I tell, really know. Tell me this. I'm getting all confused you, again. You, no, no, hey, hey, you're doing fine. You're doing fine. Okay. <laughs> Cause I can't think of all that stuff no more. How can you drink pot? I can't remember all that stuff. It's like jumbled up in my head anymore. Now I didn't know if you liked Dr. Pepper or Coke. I thought that was okay. You like Coke? Dr. Pepper is my favorite, but I like all pop. Oh well, that'll work. That'll work. Remember, Coke's the real thing. Uh, Pepsi is. So you, so you want to get up? Part of a rehab center, huh? Yeah, I want to get back into treatment. Well, you said this is about the clearest of mind I've seen you. I mean, you seemed a lot better since you've been. But they got me in here on trespassing because my friend Matthew lied on me and uh, told me because he'd been owing me some money for two months. My friend Matthew been owing me some money for going to get this girl Crystal in Liberty because she moved apartments. And I don't know what they got going, but he said he had a job for her. Okay. Well, and, and that's okay. But so he told me if I wanted to get my little money, I had to go with him to the okay. VA to get his travel. It's okay. Look, you said you just wanted part of your rehab. Okay. Yeah, I just want to get back I, in rehab. Let me see if rehab, you know, I'm sure that there's going to be something, maybe, if you're willing to volunteer for it. I want to go to rehab. I want to finish my treatment. I want to start over and get back in my treatment. Well, I want to, let me cover this, okay, and then let's talk about the rehab a little bit more, okay? Okay. Cause when you came out of Liberty, did you come out of that? The gate? The gate. The regular gate? The, the regular opening gate. gate? The opening gates. Where you supposed to come out and go in? Right. Where did he stop you from that gate? Like soon as you turn, uh, come out the gate. Like soon as I got out the gate. Right out the gate. Before I got to the next block. Okay. The gate part is on 27. He stopped me before I got to 26. Cause both of them is part of Li Liberty. One is 27th and, and Phillips, I think. And then one is 26 and Lindsay. Are you on the Lindsay side? I don't think what's work. Okay, it's know where the word for office is? That's Kelly. Then go down. Then it's Laird. <laughs> then Laird is was it Lindsay after Laird? I think. Yeah. Yeah, I was on the yeah. Well, I was in between both. I wasn't. I hadn't made it to twenty six to the corner. Like I was. But you walk out the gates. I only know of one gate myself. Yeah, I walk out the and gate and I turn. As soon as I turn. You turn right or left? Um, I, I turn this way. Left. Whatever. Okay, left. Okay. And he stopped you. So, yeah. Did he take you anywhere from there? Yeah, he put, uh, put me in a car, pulls around to 24 and stops. And that's where he does everything he did to you? Yeah. 24 and what? It, 24th and uh, Lindsay. Then he says, You know, it's a uh, it's some kind of place across the street from the apartment, it's like some kind of museum, yeah, museum. So 26 and Lindsay, 
and he drives you to 24th and Lansing. Right. Is it a parking lot or what is it? No, no. 26 down to 24. It's right across the street. Full satellite. Google yeah, like she could visually see. There's a museum right across the street from the apartments. Okay, where does he where does he pull you into? Right down the street. Oh, on the street. Okay. He does, stopped. Does he search you before he he puts you in the car? So everything is he picks you up, he takes you over. The only thing he searched was my purse. Okay. And when I told him I had a crack pipe, he took that out. So when he gets you over there. That's when he comes to the back? Yeah. Okay. Does he have you get out of the car? Now before you said he got you out of the car. He, no. He, he, had, he got out the car. He got out of the car. I was sitting down and he okay. came to the back seat, the back door, opens the door. And I was like, I told y'all don't have no warrants or nothing, so can I go on? He said, open your pants. I said, what? He said, open your pants. He said, do you got some panties on? And so I'm did like, you, looking at him like horrified. Did, like, you, did you unzip your pants? Yeah, what was I supposed to do? He the police. Did you pull him on down? No. Okay. Did he move? He just moved like the little flap to look. Did you have on Part of my little... Zipper party. Did you have on underwear? Did I? No. Okay. Could he see your vagina? Yeah. Okay. And then he said, raise your shirt up. He said, uh, he, I didn't have my underclothes on. I was actually on my way with my friend Terry Waynes to go lay down. So you just had, you told him what? Huh? He said, raise your shirt up. Do I have a bra on? He said, I didn't have a bra on. Then he was like, uh, he, I was, he was like, uh, I could take you to jail for this crack pipe. I said, people just crunched. I said, most police just crunched that up and let us go. He said, I could. He said, but this is a, a something, a charge or something. He said. So this is before you lift your shirt? No, that was afterwards. All right. How far did you lift your shirt? I just raised it up and let it back down. So he could tell you didn't have a bra on. Did he ask you to raise it all the way up? Mm-hmm. He just said, raise your shirt up. Okay. And then the next thing after that is what? And then he said, was telling me that he could take me to jail for my crack pipe. And I was telling him, man, please just let me go lay down. Because Terry, he's my friend, but I call him Uncle Terry Wayne. Everybody calls him Uncle Terry Wayne. And he was like, uh... He said, I want to say he said, you give me some head for two minutes. I want to say that's the way he said it. I don't know. And I was like, huh? I don't know. I'm going to put my mouth on him. And he was like, oh, just two minutes. And I was like, wow. So then Because he had already come threatened me about the crack pipe, so I put my mouth on him. Did he unzip his pants or did he take it up over the top? I don't know because when I looked, it was already out. I don't know. When I looked up, he asked me that he already had his thing out. Okay, everything that you described of this person, of the officer, was that true? Yeah. Okay, so we've already covered that. Yeah. 
Just the location was not right. And tell me again why you gave a different location. Because I don't want my boyfriend to have relapse. Okay. Now, going back to this, after, after the zip-up, or after the blowjob, what happens? Then, he lets me out the car. Then he said, well, you know, I can't give this back to you, my pipe. He gives my purse back. Then I said to my, I said, well, shoot, you might as well let me have that back. You know, because I'm thinking to myself, you know, violated me. And so he hands it back to me. And then he says, but first he said, well, you really don't need it. He said, you might go to jail for it. And then he says, uh, well, where are you walking to? I said, I'm just going straight up the street. I was going to the townhouses behind the warehouse office. The town, the townhouses right there on Kelly. Okay, yes, yes, yes. I was going over uh, Uncle Terry Wayne's house, and uh, that was just right up the street. And he says, uh, nah, I think I should take you. I said, no, nah, I can walk. He said, I wouldn't want nothing bad to happen to you out here. Then I said, no, nah, I can walk. Please let me walk. And uh, I wanted to tell him I wasn't going to say nothing. Just please let me go. But I get to say all out to ask him, let me go. And he uh, said, no, I think I better take you. And I'll tell you where he took me. He put me in the car. He said, I better take you. He put me in the car. But he drove past the street. He turned and I said, where are you going? He said, I'm just taking a different route. He passed the whole street. He, My grandmother lives on Hill Street. That's why I grew up on Beast Hill, right off of 32nd and Kelly. Well, it's a field right there. It looked like he was getting ready to turn the car into the field, and I started screaming. And he said, just, what did he say? Just, uh, he said, oh, relax. Just calm down. I'm going to take you where you're supposed to go. So I'm thinking, well, what are you doing? Why are you, why are you taking all these detours? I think he was going to do something more to me. I don't know. So where did he take you to? Finally, he took me back. To where? He finally took me to my uh, uncle's apartment. Uh, off of Urban, uh, off of that Urban Street? Or off of Kelly. Urban Link? That's Urban Link. Oh, uh, yeah. Where, where I saw okay. you that one time? Very first No, time. he was taking me to 26 in Kelly. Behind the welfare office. So he takes you off of Kelly, behind the welfare office. It's the townhouses, and I walk on to Terry Wayne's house, and I tell Terry that's what happened. I, well, I didn't even tell my Uncle Terry Wayne. I just wanted to go and lay down. Where's this field at that he drove? On Hill, on East Hill, right off of, uh, it's right on, let me see. Where your mom lives? Where my grandma, yeah, it's a field down the street from her house. He was going to take you home? He was going to take me in that field. Her house is on this one end of the block, and there's a field that separate the blocks. Why would he take you there? Cause I in the field? No, no. Why would he take you over by your grandma's house? Probably because he seen that field. I don't think he knew that's where I, where I grew up. I don't oh, think he knew I grew up right there. Do you remember him running you on the radio? Or he said he did. I don't know. He said he did. All, all I heard him saying something, but I don't know if he was doing it for real or just, but I think he was doing it for real because he would have known that, because he seen I didn't have no warrants.
expect right. Terry, where uh, were you? Where you said he took you after he? So I don't think he knew. I grew up down the street from that field. Okay. Was there any kind? Of, did he pull in any kind of a driveway or anything like that? Or? No. No. He got. I know he was going to pull in that field because well, I could tell by the way he was. The, no, no, he was no, 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 turn. Not, not the field. Where, where he first? No, it was on the street. On the outside street? that gate of the apartments, so right you, across from that museum. Could you take us to the area? Let, yeah, I could take you and show you directly. I could show you the field. I could show you where he did what he did to me. I could show you exactly where he picked me up. Is this man gonna get to me in jail? No, 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 no. Hey. <laughs> hey, have your coke. Just relax. Hey, Terry, you're doing fantastic. <laughs> Look, I wanna, I wanna talk a little bit more about this rehab. Okay. 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 You serious about this? Yeah. You serious? Uh, about yeah. It? You think Detective Williams and um, show y'all everything? Yeah, just push it. Just hit the big red button and you're out. I thought your name was Detective Greg Williams. No, it's Gregory. Oh, uh, why I get with My first name is Rocky. Oh. Remember like the boxer? Yeah, Rocky. There you go. That maybe that might be easy. Okay. And then it wasn't no other police with him either. Okay. Hey. One more question. Was that, and now you said before, it was the older style car. Not the yeah, new. it was the black and white one. The old square ones. Okay, and it wasn't the new black straight No. Line. Okay. You think after I show you everything that I might can make one call to my boyfriend and let him know what's going on, my ex? Because he called me and said he seen something about it on the news. Was it on the news? It, yours. Not on the news. Yeah, he said the girl. And he said he thought about me. And he said, I am so sorry for thinking you were lying. Terry, this is permission for me to take the, the member of the spit? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Just look at this. You can read, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, all you gotta do is, is right here. I just wanna, I wanna, I wanna get out of here and get into a drug treatment. I well, I know they're gonna let me out anyway. They well, said as far as charges, you know, I can't do anything about it. I charges. know, but they said, I already know the people said that I was gonna go home. They just said they backed up. No. Okay. I ain't got no more trespass. Well, I just found out that you were over here and, and then I knew you wanted to. Who told you? Uh, we, we can pull it up. Well, how did you know to pull this up? Well, because it's an Do I put the date down? Sure. I don't know the date. 10. 10. 7, 10. It's 7, 10. That's well, what kind of treatment, what kind of drug treatment can you get me? Oh, yeah, for my birthday next month. Oh. Well, I, I don't know. I'll have to do some checking. Okay. Like, I don't want to go to DRI. I'm scared of that. But I want to go to a drug treatment that works. Well, uh, yeah, I Well, maybe I uh, shouldn't be scared of DRI. Maybe it's off. Okay. Uh, Maybe I let people scare me too much. About it. But maybe y'all can give me a DRI. I wish you would have told me before if that was a different location. I know. I but know. I was scared after I told y'all that. 
But then you just cut, you told me again. I know, I was still scared. Are you scared of the officer? Yeah. Well, you've seen me enough during all this. I was talking to my uh, roommate about this last night, and I said, do you think he can find me in here? That, is he free? I don't want him to come and get me and bother me. Well, he's not an officer right now. Yeah, we've taken his gun. So he home. can't just come in this place, huh? Nope. This is like the safest place I feel. It's very safe. But then I was thinking, what is, you know, he got some friends in this place that'll come get me on. Do you think that if I show you the locations that I might can make a call to my ex and tell him what's well, going on? I don't see a problem about that. Let's see what we can do, okay? I haven't been able to um, call on. But my ex did tell me that he said, I'm sorry that I didn't believe you. You're sorry with what? My ex told me he's sorry he didn't believe me when I was telling him about the rape. Do you remember ever seeing him before? That police? Yeah. No. Like if I seen him before, I wouldn't know because I don't, you know, I'm so busy trying to get away from him. Now, like when I, if I seen him, I wouldn't remember because like when police is stopping, you know, black folks doing wrong, we trying to move away, hurry up and get away. Well, I guess that's anybody doing wrong. <laughs> I don't think that's anybody doing wrong. <laughs> but I wasn't even doing nothing wrong that night. I didn't have a crack pipe and I was getting high like early, early, early up in the day. But shit, I didn't have no money in that and I was going to lay down. Where did you go after that happened? Where did he end up dropping me off? Where did you go? Where did, where did you go after he dropped you off? I went over with Terry Wayne's where I was headed and went to sleep. Did I didn't tell no matter of fact I did once he left. Yeah, I did I no I didn't. I started getting high again. No, I did once he dropped me off, I just I was so uh in, in in shock, I think I just started really getting hot, trying to trying to find me some drugs. Did you talk to Terry Wayne? I didn't tell him what happened. I wasn't telling. I didn't tell nobody what happened for like almost a week. I think it might have been a week or a week or a day over. But I wasn't talking and telling nobody nothing. I was scared to tell somebody. No, I understand that. Look, we're gonna. If you don't mind, I'd like to take you for a ride so you can show me all this. All three of the places? Yeah. Okay. Okay. You can bring your pop there with you. I drunk that. This is dumb. I love brought one. I love pop. Terry with an I or a Y? I. Do you got a candy bar? I don't have nothing. That's a, my daddy's name is spelled with a Y. What's your name, worth? 1970. I want to go to drug treatment, Detective Greg. Please help me get in the treatment so I can get myself better. Well, I don't want to get on high no more. I don't want to stay out in these streets. See, and you had done rehab before. Yeah, but, yeah, but I, the reason why, I, what made me relapse is, I don't know, I had relapse, but I was finna go, I was gonna go back, like, the okay. next day. And, and one more thing. Did he ever do any of this? The, the whole, did you have to put your hands on top of the car or anything? 
Okay, before you tell me put your hands on top of the car. No, I don't remember telling you. He might have put his hands on top of the car. He had me sitting in the car. You're saying everything. You showing your breasts. I was him, sitting down the whole time. looking at your vagina and the blowjob was yeah. all in the back seat of the car. Yeah, he was standing up like this. And I was sitting like this. He so was standing up over me like this, right here. When you gave him oral sex. All I did was turn my head. Did you touch yeah. him? My mouth did. No, I didn't put my hands on my mouth. So you didn't even put your feet on the ground outside. You just turned your body for just my head, yeah. For oral sex. Okay. We ready? I'm gonna get this. Oh boy. They gonna think y'all take me out. What you just heard is completely different than what Morris has been professing as the truth every time she's previously been asked about the sexual assault. And you may be compelled to believe this version because Morris appears much more clear-headed and sober. But, as with her previous story centered around downtown Oklahoma City, this version in Northeast Oklahoma City has some major problems also. Problems that are apparent on this date back in 2014 and much later when she testifies under oath at trial. So we are clear, in this version of events, Morris now claims that the sexual assault occurred after she left Liberty Station Apartments in Northeast Oklahoma City and now on May 8, 2014. A revelation that only happened after Detective Gregory suggested this location and date in Morris's second interview. Suggestions he admits he made but neglected to audio record. Additionally, not only has this location been put in Morris's head by Gregory, but she only decides to change her story to this location after she is once again arrested, has set in jail for almost a week, and wants Gregory's help getting into a better rehabilitation facility. And what about Morris's excuse for why she lied in the first place? She claims she didn't want her boyfriend, Christopher Shelton, to know she was, quote, off the wagon and back on drugs. She claimed that if Shelton knew she was at Liberty Station Apartments, then he'd know she was using drugs again. I'm sorry, but that makes no sense whatsoever. We already know that Shelton had to call 911 because Morris was so high and so out of control she was tearing up his car. And where did Shelton reportedly run into Morris the night of the 911 call? Just a couple of blocks from Liberty Station Apartments. And what was the first thing Morris said in front of Shelton to the police when they arrived at the Valero gas station? She said she was high from smoking crack cocaine. Shelton's known Morris for 14 years. He's lived with her. He's slept with her. He knows she's a drug addict. Besides, she's not claiming the sexual assault happened at Liberty Station Apartments. She alleges it happened about six blocks away, and she has every reason to be in the area. Shelton knows that Morris grew up on East Hill Street, where her grandmother currently lives, and that's just a few blocks away. If she wanted to keep her visit to Liberty Station Apartments secret, why not just eliminate that from her story? and simply say a police officer stopped her in the very neighborhood where she's lived all of her life. 
But let's break down this May 8th interaction with Holtzclaw, both what we know for a fact and what Morris has claimed previously and what she claims at jury trial. First, we know Holtzclaw had contact with Morris on this date, not because of patrol car GPS, but because Holtzclaw called into dispatch regarding the interaction. I'm getting ready to play you that radio traffic. First, you will hear Holtzclaw, who is identified over the radio by the call sign 2Charlie45, calling in a male suspect he has confronted at the Liberty Station Apartments. That suspect's name is Cody Nichols. 45 out on one at Liberty Station. There's not much detail on the interaction between Nichols and Holtzclaw. What we do know is that it had nothing to do with Morris, and Morris was simply in the complex at that time. Allegedly, Morris was hanging out in the doorway of an individual she later identified as her Aunt Shirley. Morris claims in this interview, and later at jury trial, that she saw Holtzclaw and his patrol car when he was detaining Nichols. Morris claims that shortly thereafter, she began walking away from Liberty Station Apartments. That's when Holtzclaw pulls up in his patrol car and stopped her. Morris said she was then transported from Liberty Station, which is at about at Northeast 26th and Lindsay, two blocks south to Northeast 24th and Lindsay, where Holtzclaw stopped. This doesn't really match what I've previously been told by Daniel Holtzclaw and also doesn't match the radio traffic. I recall Holtzclaw telling me that he saw Morris walking away from Liberty Station, but that he was still with Nichols. When he finished up, he proceeded south on Lindsay, and as he rounded the corner heading east on 24th, he saw Morris still walking in the distance. Holtzclaw then rolled up, stopped, and inquired as to what she was doing at Liberty Station Apartments because it's known as an extremely high drug trafficking area, and he recognized the apartment she came from as a suspected drug dealer's. This is the audio of Holtzclaw calling in the Morris stop at Northeast 24th and Lindsay. 45's back in, but I'll be out on another stuff. You got 24th and Lindsay just these. 2745, Emma. I want to run the last name is Morris, Mary Ocean, Robert, Robert, Ida, Sam. First name is Terry, Tom, Edward, Robert, Robert, Ida. They're with us. I'm a 63. Uh, black uh, Correction on uh, Terry Morris. Her date of birth is 70. Black female. Yeah, it's going to be 70 black female. This stop occurred at approximately 725 Northeast 24th Street. This is a small vacant lot bookended by the Capitol Crossing apartment complex to the east and some residential duplexes to the west. Directly across the street to the south is the Oklahoma History Center. The time of the stop was 846 until 901 p.m. Even by Morris's account, Holtzclaw stops her, asks about her warrants, runs her through his computer, searches her and her belongings, finds a crack pipe, lectures her about the crack pipe, and talks to her about what she was doing at Liberty Station and where she is headed. Like the Ligon stop, 
these known activities leave very little, if any, time for anything as brazen as a very public sexual assault. And, like the ligand stop, there are no witnesses and no direct forensic evidence of a single crime. Furthermore, Morris has now admitted she was high from smoking crack and not sober like in previous accounts. Later, at trial, Morris will admit to scratching profusely during this stop because she has been sleeping somewhere that was infested with bedbugs. During her police interviews, Morris claimed she offered up the crack pipe in her purse because she was, quote, just being honest. At trial, however, she reverses this claim and now states that Holtzclaw simply found the crack pipe when he searched her purse. When I refer to Morris's jury trial testimony, I'm getting my information directly from the trial transcript, pages 3,141 through 3,194. Morris testified at trial that Holtzclaw claimed she was lying to him about her activities at Liberty Station Apartments and that she thought Holtzclaw was trying to confuse her. Morris claimed at trial that she had told Holtzclaw that she had been at her Aunt Shirley's apartment at Liberty Station and that she was now headed to her Uncle Terry Wayne's house just a few blocks away. It's important to note, when Detective Gregory contacted Aunt Shirley, she claimed that she didn't know Morris and that Morris had never been to her apartment. During her interviews with police, Morris claimed it was dark outside when the assault occurred. At trial, however, Morris claims, quote, it was still light outside. Morris now claims that her lifting of her shirt, the unzipping of her pants, and the act of performing oral sex upon Holtzclaw all happened as she was seated in the back seat of his patrol car. Previously, she had stated in some retellings that she was outside the vehicle for each of these occurrences. Morris has claimed all along that she was not wearing any underwear. In Morris's third interview with Detective Gregory, you'll recall she clearly stated that Holtzclaw used his hand to open up her unzipped pants and take a look. At trial, though, the details change once again. Now Morris claims that she simply unzipped her pants and that Holtzclaw never touched her. Morris did, however, claim that while seated, facing away from Holtzclaw and wearing tight-fitting unzipped jeans, that Holtzclaw could somehow see her vagina. Once again, Morris says she was told to raise her shirt, though she admitted he never asked her to expose herself. Morris said it's at this point that Holtzclaw's penis just appeared. I've already gone over in a previous episode all that Holtzclaw wears under his uniform that would make it highly unlikely he could simply and effortlessly unzip his pants and expose his erect penis. It's a process that at the very least would take several seconds. Yet, in both Ligon's and Morris's allegations, they both say that even though they were seated and only a foot or two away from his crotch area, they never saw him make any extra effort to expose himself. At trial, Morris adds yet another detail that makes this process even more unbelievable. Morris testifies under oath at trial that Holtzclaw was already wearing a condom when he exposed his erect penis and demanded oral sex from her. In all previous versions of these allegations, Morris claimed Holtzclaw never wore a condom. Also at trial, Morris now claims that Holtzclaw's exact words were, quote, Ah, come on, just three or four licks, end quote. Again, 
this is something Morris is claiming for the very first time. Morris claims that Holtzclaw did not say anything during the sexual assault itself. Another important thing to note is that each time Morris retells her version of this alleged sexual assault, none of her quotes from Holtzclaw are consistent. Each time she claims he says something different. One time it's quote, go to jail or suck my dick. Another time it's quote, just do it for a minute. And this time it's quote, just three or four licks. Morris alleged that the sexual assault lasted anywhere from a couple to several minutes, depending on which interview you listened to. When the alleged sexual assault ended, Morris said that Holtzclaw insisted on giving her a ride to where she was going. Morris claimed she told Holtzclaw she was headed to her Uncle Terry Wayne's home near Northeast 26th and Kelly. Morris claims that Holtzclaw took an indirect route to Uncle Terry Wayne's townhouse. You may recall media stories from when this case was going to trial. Detectives Davis and Gregory and Prosecutor Galen Gigger all referenced to Morris' allegations when they talked about how Holtzclaw drove this intricate zigzag pattern and how accuser Morris was able to accurately retrace his route and it matched Holtzclaw's patrol car GPS perfectly. The fact is, that is not true at all. You heard Morris in her third interview with Detective Gregory. But what you didn't hear was Morris recounting some intricate zigzag route. As a matter of fact, at trial, Morris claims Holtzclaw drives her straight to her grandmother's street on East Hill. Quote from the prosecutor. Whenever he drives, is he just going straight or is he making lots of turns? Morris. He goes straight. Then he turns. Then he goes down. 24th and Lindsay and Hill Street is probably about six or seven blocks apart. Prosecutor, so, he takes you to Hill Street? Morris, yeah, 33rd, 3200, or 3300 block, end quote. Folks, that's not retracing a zigzag route. That's Morris telling you Holtzclaw, quote, goes straight, in reference to Northeast 24th Street eastbound, quote, then he turns, that's his left turn from Northeast 24th to North Phillips Avenue, then he goes down. That's Holtzclaw driving down Phillips to East Hill Street. In all fairness, according to Holtzclaw's patrol car GPS, his route does actually deviate slightly. You could loosely call this a zigzag pattern, but that route is not recounted by Morris in any audio recording or any report by detectives and is not contained within Morris's jury trial transcript. It's simply a lie, a lie told by the prosecutors to a public who is eager to lap it up. Regardless, Morris claims Holtzclaw just happened to pause at the corner of Phillips and Hill, the very corner where Morris's grandmother lives. Though Morris won't admit it, that's actually, in my opinion, where she got out of Holtzclaw's vehicle. Instead, she claims she could somehow tell Holtzclaw was going to make a left and drive into a large field and possibly sexually assault her again. Morris does admit, however, that Holtzclaw never actually drove towards the field and that she could simply tell because he cut his tires in that direction. Morris claims she screamed and that Holtzclaw drove on. Morris testified that Holtzclaw continued on northbound a couple of blocks and then crossed over eastbound to North Kelly Avenue. From there, he proceeded south on Kelly a few blocks to Northeast 26th. 
Morris then repeatedly has claimed that Holtzclaw went westbound on Northeast 26th, one block to Urban League Court, and that he stopped at the intersection and let her out. Morris said she then walked to her Uncle Terry Wayne's townhouse located near the entrance of the cul-de-sac that is Urban League Court. Depending on which version of Morris's story you listen to, she either did or did not tell her Uncle Terry Wayne about the assault. At trial, Morris testified under oath she did tell her Uncle Terry Wayne what happened. Let's fact check this real quick. According to Daniel Holtzclaw's patrol car GPS, Morris's account of being dropped off at her Uncle Terry Wayne's is 100% a lie. What's worse is that Detective Gregory knows it's a lie, but he has continuously forwarded it as the truth. How do we know Detective Gregory knows it's a lie? He admitted to the lie while under oath at jury trial. Holtzclaw's defense attorney, Scott Adams, confronted Detective Gregory in a series of quotes from the trial. Question by attorney Scott Adams, quote, you would agree with me that the AVL in this case 100% says she's lying when she says that he let her out at 26th and Kelly. Detective Gregory, yes. Mr. Adams, and again, in any of your reports that you dictated in this case, particularly on July 10th, whenever you supposedly drive her around and she shows you the path that she says was taken, did you ever put in your report it is an impossibility for it to have happened the way she's saying it happened because of the speeds that the AVL shows that they were going when they crossed 26th and Kelly. Detective Gregory, no I didn't. Mr. Adams, you didn't talk about any of the impossibility stuff at all. Detective Gregory, no, end quote. In fact, the only zero speeds at all in Holtzclaw's GPS is when he stopped with Morris at Northeast 24th and Lindsay. Holtzclaw's patrol car does, however, slow down, and there's a one-minute gap in the GPS timeline at North Phillips and East Hill Street. I'll get back to that when I give you my theory of what actually happened. Detective Gregory also admitted at trial that he contacted Morris's Uncle Terry Wayne and that he stated Morris never told him about the alleged sexual assault, and that while he had seen a news story about the assaults, he had no idea Morris was an accuser. I'd like to quickly go back to another lie that Detective Gregory got caught in at trial. From page 3274 of the jury trial transcript, Attorney Scott Adams, quote, And you certainly did not show Miss Morris during this interview any maps, notes or AVL information, correct? Detective Gregory, correct, end quote. But just a minute later, Mr. Adams asks, quote, but it's your testimony at no time was a map ever shown to her or a satellite photograph or even a Google map. Detective Gregory, I misunderstood. Yes, there was a map, end quote. A bit further down, Mr. Adams again, quote, so whenever you testified previously that you did not provide any AVLs or any maps or anything like that, you were mistaken, end quote. And further down from there, Mr. Adams again, quote, well, you would agree with me that nowhere in your report do you ever mention that you ever show her any maps or anything like that, Detective Gregory. That's correct, yeah, Mr. Adams. Is there a reason you left that out of your report? 
Detective Gregory. No. End quote. Morris not only lied to investigators when she told them that Christopher Shelton was the first person she disclosed the alleged rape to, she takes her lie a step further. She claimed at trial that Shelton told her that she needed to report the rape to police. Morris went so far as to claim under oath that she begged Christopher Shelton not to call police and tell them, but he insisted on doing it anyway. I've already played that 911 call for you, and you've heard the subsequent police report. And in that call, and in those reports, it's crystal clear. Christopher Shelton didn't believe Morris, and he only called police to get her out of his vehicle that she was tearing apart. So now that we've heard Morris's multiple version of events and the prosecution's theories, let's recap what we actually know. In the early morning hours of May 24, 2014, Terry Morris is admittedly high on crack cocaine and fully believes she's in a romantic relationship with the much older Christopher Shelton. Shelton, on the other hand, believes their relationship ended over a month ago. The two encounter each other around 3 a.m., and an argument eventually escalates into a full-on rampage by Morris. Police are eventually called, not so Shelton can report some sort of rape allegation, but to simply get her out of and stop tearing up his vehicle. Regardless, once police do arrive and Morris cries rape, there is never another mention as to the original reason police were on the scene in the first place. There is not a single word in any police reports regarding any concern for the fact that Morris is publicly intoxicated on crack cocaine, destroying private property, and most likely has drugs and drug paraphernalia on her person. In fact, once she is done going into great detail, details that she later admits are all a lie, police simply allow this woman, who is unaccompanied and admittedly high on crack, to simply walk away into the darkness. And it doesn't end there. Less than two hours later, police encounter Morris again. This time, she's about a mile away, she is still high, she's trespassing and trying to break into the apartment of Mr. Shelton's new girlfriend. And once again, there is zero concern for those crimes and Morris is handed over to some unidentified male so that she can simply sleep it off. Detective Gregory is given the case just a couple of days later and goes to great pains to locate Morris. And when he does, Morris wants nothing to do with cooperating in the investigation of the rape allegations she has made just days before. Eventually, she relents and she tells the story we've all gone over several times about being sexually assaulted in downtown Oklahoma City. And she's not vague in her details. She takes great pains to tell how she was sober and walking from a treatment facility to the city rescue. She even gives details about the officer driving past the city rescue after the alleged sexual assault. But there's a problem. Detective Gregory has his sights set on Officer Daniel Holtzclaw, but he has some huge obstacles to overcome. Morris's dates for the assault are way off. She insists it's either May 20th or 21st. Keep in mind, the May 8th date is only ever suggested by Detective Gregory and the prosecution. Morris never retreats from her original dates. Morris insists the officer is much older than Holtzclaw, has dark skin, and she can't even positively identify him in a photo lineup Gregory admits was constructed with the sole purpose of skewing Morris to pick Holtzclaw. Then there's the patrol car. 
Morris repeatedly and without hesitation says the officer who raped her was driving the much more common and older black and white Crown Vic. In reality, Holtzclaw is driving the more rare and distinct newer model all-black patrol car. In most any other case, these discrepancies would be enough to clear Holtzclaw, but not in Detective Gregory's mind. So, on his second in-person visit with Morris, he begins to nudge her towards a story he needs her to tell. It starts by an off-the-record suggestion the rape actually occurred on the other side of town and at Liberty Station Apartments. But Morris is still too high and off her meds to fully comprehend what Detective Gregory is trying to do. But, weeks later, Gregory knows that Morris has been sitting in jail for about a week and he makes another run at her. This time, she's much more clear-headed and she's thought about Gregory's suggestion that this all occurred at a different location. More importantly, she's now willing to accept that suggestion as fact. After speaking with Detective Gregory for an unknown amount of time before he decides to record the interview, Morris has now transposed most of the original details to the other side of town and to an encounter she had with Officer Daniel Holtzclaw. We know Holtzclaw detained Morris, but it was on May 8th, not 20th or 21st, and it wasn't in downtown Oklahoma City. In my opinion, Holtzclaw, who was at Liberty Station Apartments running a male suspect for warrants, noticed Morris. Morris was hanging out in front of an apartment Holtzclaw knew to be a place suspected of trafficking drugs. Holtzclaw saw Morris leave and he proceeded to approach her just a few blocks away. Holtzclaw's intuition told him that a drug addict leaving a suspected drug house most likely had drugs on them and more importantly, they also had information about the drug dealers. Holtzclaw has worked as a member of the Oklahoma City Police Gang Unit he knows how important informants are in making a case and shutting down dealers. He stops Morris, and as Morris admits at trial, she has stopped at a location that makes it very difficult for others to see who is in Holtzclaw's patrol car and thus makes it difficult for them to know who might be inside snitching. This will come up over and over again throughout this podcast. The addicts and prostitutes in this area absolutely do not want to be seen talking to police. Remember, snitches get stitches. Holtzclaw searches Morris. He instructs Morris to perform what Detective Gregory will actually identify during accuser Carla Raines' investigation as, quote, the clasp and shake. It's an unfortunate accepted search technique by OCPD though I personally find it appalling and humiliating. It's a search wherein the female suspect is instructed to clasp the underwire of their bra, pull it away from their breasts, and quote, shake the bra. The idea is to dislodge any drugs, paraphernalia, or weapons that may be hidden within the bra or under breast tissue. If you recall during Holtzclaw's interrogation, he and detectives repeatedly referred to this technique, though they just identified it as, quote, the shake. As far as Morris's claims that she was instructed to unzip her pants, well, it's just my opinion, but I think that may have actually occurred just to a much lesser extent. 
Holtzclaw admitted in his interrogation that not only is he familiar with the quote, the shake, but he also searches suspects' waistbands because it's a popular place to hide contraband. So, he may have indeed had Morris perform the clasp and shake and then had her expose her waistband. Both of those procedures are completely within police policy. Even in her version of events, Morris admits Holtzclaw didn't directly tell her to expose herself and later testifies that she merely unzipped her pants because he was searching her and that he never touched her. Regardless, Holtzclaw found Morris's crack pipe. I believe Holtzclaw then tried to make Morris believe that he might take her to jail for the pipe unless she was willing to share information about the drug house she had just left. The fact the woman Morris identified as Aunt Shirley denied even knowing Morris would seem to support that conclusion. When Morris either refused to snitch out her drug supplier or was simply too high to cooperate, Holtzclaw decided he'd offer her a ride to see if he could get her talking. Morris didn't ask to be taken to Uncle Terry Wayne's, who, by the way, is no more an uncle to Terry Morris than Shirley is an aunt. Morris asked to be taken to her actual blood relative grandmother's house on East Hill Street. And this is the route that Holtzclaw drives. He does make one slight detour where he makes a right-hand turn from North Phillips Avenue onto Northeast 27th Street. But he turns back west and returns to Phillips and continues northbound. I believe this was due to Morris trying to give Holtzclaw directions and she became confused and simply told him to turn too early. When she realized the mistake, he returned to North Phillips Avenue. According to Holtzclaw's patrol car GPS, the only time he slows down and appears to stop is at North Phillips Avenue and East Hill Street, or about the 3300 block of North Phillips. This is the corner that is only a couple of houses from Morris's grandmother's. Morris claims Holtzclaw paused because he was considering driving into a field and possibly sexually assaulting her again. She couldn't have known that though. I suggest to you that this is actually where Morris instructed Holtzclaw to drive to and that he stopped at the corner and simply let Morris out of his patrol car so that she could then walk to her grandmother's house without being seen getting out of a police car. This would also explain what happens next. Holtzclaw then drives south on North Kelly Avenue and his patrol car GPS never has him slowing down below 30 miles per hour and never stopping as he leaves that immediate area to patrol other parts of Spring Lake. Additionally, Detective Gregory admitted at trial he doesn't even believe Morris was dropped off at her Uncle Terry Wayne's as she previously insisted and Detective Gregory previously supported. So why did Morris make these allegations? I personally have no idea. Maybe she was upset because she didn't like how Holtzclaw treated her and made her do the clasp and shake. Maybe she didn't like Holtzclaw trying to coerce her into snitching out her drug dealer. Maybe it's as simple as she's a paranoid schizophrenic who admitted she is on meds that she rarely takes as prescribed. Meds that clearly list their known side effects are to cause hallucinations, confusion, and unusual thoughts and behavior. Regardless, Detective Gregory enabled Morris to aid him in targeting Daniel Holtzclaw. 
and the targeting of Holtzclaw is only just beginning, and the links Lieutenant Musney and Detectives Davis and Gregory are willing to go are almost unfathomable. I'm going to stop here. This has been a long episode with many versions of the same alleged event that I needed to untangle. In the next episode, we learn that formal criminal charges are going to be filed in this case regarding Liggins and Morris's allegations. Investigators reach out to Holtzclaw for a list of potential contributors of the DNA found on his uniform pants. And then, investigators develop a controversial list of potential Holtzclaw victims and they begin to reach out to them. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please take a moment to subscribe and give us a five-star review. If you'd like to know more and see many of the files used to compile this episode, please visit this season's homepage at holtzclawtrial.com. You can also follow updates on our Facebook page at In Defense of Daniel Holtzclaw or on Twitter at Holtzclaw Trial. Bates Investigates Season 1, The Daniel Holtzclaw Case, is researched, produced, and edited by me, Brian Bates. This has been a Bug Stomper production. Bugs. <laughs> <laughs>